1: a good morning to all our high, FF, high fm listeners we are so glad to be back um, my name is Edel Kozulski and sitting in the driving seat with me is the one and only Peggy Stern good morning good morning Edel good to see you good to see you too well you know we've had such a fantastic feedback with Dr Kassel and what to do with a baby that doesn't talk just screams and drive yourself insane We've spoken all about ear infections, and we've spoken also about uh, urinary tract infections, and we're going to continue our uh, our episodes on the crying baby. And this is really something I think that is is important not only for mothers but for grandmothers. You know, now when my kids call, I just say, "Go listen to podcast number ABC. You'll get your answers." And so we uh, we are going to be discussing gastrointestinal issues today and um, that's another one you know we, we know there's a lot of colic and then the ache, and are you in the right formula and are you feeding right and is it the right way in the wrong way we would love you to join this conversation if you would like to 34519 is our SMS number 895 1019 is our telegram number a reminder that Faggy and I run a whatsapp group we just drop some good stuff every single day just a little bit just a thought to try and encourage you to stay well. A lot of our health is in our hands, and if we just start learning the fundamentals of good living, then of course, your wealth is, um, your, your health is your only wealth. So don't be shy, please join the conversation. And uh, with no further ado, good morning, Dr. Castle.
0: Morning, Maggie, good morning, Idol.
2: Good morning, Dr. Castle. thank you for joining us.
0: It's a pleasure to be back with you. And it's a pleasure to carry on with our uh, program and to try to enlighten some of the things that are important in life for a mother in the two years of life.
1: Absolutely. What we're going to do, Dr. Castle, I think, is that we are going to go for a little bit of a break because we've got about a minute. And I know when you get stuck in, we all want to sit here riveted. So we're just going to go for a little bit of a break. When we get back, we are talking gastrointestinal issues in babies. Don't go away. This is 101.9. High FM.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern.
1: Okay, without further ado, Dr. Kassel, we hand over to you.
0: Thank you so much, Adol. What I'm going to try and emphasize in this presentation this morning is how life has changed uh, as regards the observations of a baby crying in the first few years of life. As little as 20 years ago, breastfeeding was the preferred feed. If breastfeeding couldn't be instituted, then cow's milk was used in a diluted form and if that couldn't work, then they used carnation milk. And if there was a food intolerance demonstrated, there was a feed called Neutramogen, which was of course a pre-digested formula. In other words, there were four feeds as little as 20 years ago. Today, I think the the, the, the chart is running at almost 50. Uh, I, I would say it's even over that number of baby feeds that are available. And what I'm going to try to emphasize in this talk, what we always try to emphasize, and that is if we make the diagnosis in the first place and we know what is commonly wrong, we wouldn't be chopping and changing and reorganizing the baby's feeding schedules, abandoning the breastfeeding unnecessarily and using formula after formula to try to create a problem which really is completely solvable, and that is what I'm going to try and do in this presentation today. As usual, a visual presentation of the gastrointestinal tract is always important. Food enters the mouth by the esophagus, and then it goes down the esophagus, uh, food enters the mouth, it goes down by the esophagus, and into the stomach through the gastroesophageal valve. Once in the stomach, the food then passes through the pyloric valve into the small intestine. And in the small intestine, there are tiny little hair-like projections called villi. These villi contain the vital enzymes that are necessary for the digestion, the proper digestion of food, especially the sugars. And this is where the whole crux of our presentation comes in this morning. Because if anything impairs the functioning of these villi, either congenital or acute, you're going to get serious feeding problems. From the small intestine, the food will then pass into the large intestine into the colon and from the colon it will eventually be excreted by the anus the three topics that i plan to focus on today are all related to abnormalities which occur along the gastric pathway the digestive pathway these three topics are gastro esophageal reflux First and foremost, enzymatic abnormalities of the gut, particularly of the small intestine. And lastly, and I deliberately put this last, feeding problems. Because if you diagnose the first two conditions, which strangely enough are responsible for more than 90% of your irritable babies in the first two years of life, your feeding problems will wither away and you will not have to change feeds a multitude of times. So let's get into the meaty issues. The gastroesophageal reflux first. Gastroesophageal reflux occurs because of a failure of the gastroesophageal valve to either open or close properly or more importantly, the gastroesophageal valve hanging open and not closing at all. Now this particular problem starts to manifest sometimes in utero, and often a mother will say to you, I can, the, I, I can feel the baby hiccuping in my tummy. This is because the baby is swallowing fluid it's going into the stomach, it's regurgitating upwards, and it's setting up the hiccuping reflex. If you remember nothing else from what I'm saying today, remember that hiccuping is the only, the most reliable sign of gastroesophageal reflux, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with colic. Hiccupping is the sign. So, the gastric contents, we now come to the symptoms of gastric esophageal reflux. We have already said that hiccupping is a very important sign. And what is the mechanism of hiccupping? The first abnormality that occurs as the acidic fluid from the stomach starts to find its way up the esophagus is that the diaphragms get irritated. And when that happens, you hiccup, adults as well. If you overeat, you irritate your diaphragms, you hiccup. The rest of the signs of gastroesophageal reflux occur as a result of the acidic fluid refluxing up the esophagus. As that fluid enters the throat, it sets up an irritative cough reflex, and the refluxing baby will very often develop a persistent and chronic cough. Furthermore, if the reflux is even more marked, the fluid will find its way through the nose and mouth, and the baby will regurgitate. And in extreme cases, this fluid will also find its way down into the trachea and the lung and the baby will get a wheeze. These are all signs that must be taken notice of. But remember, it all starts with hiccuping. So how do you manage reflux? There are a multitude of the so-called cures, feeds, all sorts of things that have been advocated in the management of reflux, but the bottom line Is that it all depends on gravity. If you keep the baby upright you cannot reflux and if the baby lies flat you will reflux particularly if you're taking in fluids. The most important preventative treatment of reflux is to keep the baby's posture upright. Now this is done during the day quite easily. Some women put their babies on their backs, that's to control reflux. Others today use a Kango pouch, where the baby is strapped to the front of the chest and the baby sits in this position or or stands in this position for the entire day. It doesn't get put down. You carry the baby around, you do your work, you keep the baby in an upright position. So what about the night when the baby is put down to rest or when you want to let the baby rest or sleep even during the day? It should always be in an upright position. The moment the baby lies prone, flat, reflux will start to occur. The baby should always be at 45 degrees plus. This can be achieved in several ways. Either by using a carry cot to let the baby rest in, a backrest, or even a car seat. And if, in sim- the simplest way to do it is to elevate the head of the bed or the cot. Realize that all the other treatments of reflux are really palliative. Sure, you can neutralize the acids, but it comes at a price. They alle- neutralizing the acids in reflux alleviates the symptoms of acid reflux but it does not stop the reflux. First falling into this category are the proton pump inhibitors. The medicines which cause the proton pump to not excrete no, to not cause the formation of acid in the stomach now, this is all very well. It will relieve the symptoms, sure it will, but eventually you will have to pay a price for the relief of the symptoms. Because, A, really you Can we
1: hold that, Doctor? Can we just hold it there? We have to go for a little bit of a break. We're talking gastrointestinal irritations in the baby. If you'd like to join the conversation, 34519 61 895 is our telegram number.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kazulski and Fagie Stern.
1: We're talking about gastrointestinal irritations in babies. Our guest is Dr. Kassel, a uh, a well-known pediatric doctor in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And we are listening as to what it is that makes a baby cry with, uh, with, I guess, with a stomachache. Doctor, you were talking about um, about the reflux.
0: Yes, well, we've come to the palliative cures of reflux. The palliative cure is to obviously lessen the acids in the stomach or obliterate them altogether. And this is done very, very frequently in adults. You get adults taking all the medicines, imaginable, Gaviscon, Nexium, Zantac, and all these things, but it all comes at a price, because the the stomach does need an acid barrier. It can't have this acid barrier taken away. It will lead to problems, and these problems are unfortunately also being reported with the long-term use of Nexium and various Mm other pre, uh, other substances that are used to suppress acids in the stomach that is number one i don't want to enter into that pathway we can discuss this when we come to question time the second way of dealing with gastroenteritis is, is so-called dealing with gastroenteritis gastroesophageal reflux or your anti-spasmodic medications if you like to use the term your anti-colic preparations, in my opinion, it's not a way of dealing with reflux, it's a way of causing reflux. Because even though you've got a refluxing baby, if you give your anti-colic, anti-spasmodic medications, what have they all got in them? They've got sedatives, all of them. They've got anti-spasmodics, all of them. So you give this, you give your telement and it's all hunky-dory for the first few days. The baby lies fast asleep, hardly able to move, and everything is all right. But the reflux is still continuing, and the problem will only get worse. Because as your colic medicines now cause sluggishness of the bowel and even complete lack of motility of the bowel, Eventually, the secretions from the stomach will start to get obstructed. The stomach will start to distend, and as the stomach distends, the reflux will get worse. So, look forward to on the seventh or tenth day, all of a sudden the baby breaking loose from the so called colic treatment and starting to howl its head off as the reflux gets up to the esophagus. That's the second. Mistake, well, let's not say mistake, because there are some people that use this. But this is the second thing that you've got to watch out for. The third thing you've got to watch out for is your so-called anti feeds. There are a whole variety of them now. But how do they work? They all work in the same way. They thicken the secretions so that it, in the end, makes it almost impossible for the intestinal contents to move along the intestine. So, sure, you can't get reflux, but the first thing you get is constipation. The baby hardly passes any stools, And then, of course, the same problem will start occurring. As these concretions start forming in the bowel, it will start to obstruct the normal passage of fluids in the of food in the bowel, and the same problem will occur. It will eventually heap up in the stomach, reflux back up the esophagus, and you've got your same problem all over again. So as as far as my opinion is concerned, I think you've got to be very careful of these so-called quick fixes to gastroesophageal reflux. The one method that used to be used in the olden days, and which can still be used, is to realize that the esophageal valve stays completely open usually for the first 12 weeks of life. And thereafter, in the great majority of babies, that esophageal valve tightens. So if you can see the baby through the peak period, the first 12 weeks, The early introduction of solids in the olden days used to be the way of coping with gastrointestinal reflux. In other words, if you breastfeed the baby for eight minutes, breastfeed that baby for four minutes, give one or two teaspoons of cereal or solid, any other solid, and then complete the breastfeed. And in this way, breast milk will be less fluid it will be less likely to reflux and you will get your reflux under control Professor. so to
1: understand sorry can i just just clarify over here so what you're saying is don't use the proton pumps don't use the colic medications because all of them just exacerbate the condition just hold the baby up that's that's the one piece of advice and if need be start giving baby solids much earlier
0: that is absolutely correct, Adel. And if we then go back to the biblical days, I'm sure Adam and Eve, Eve particularly, probably just held the baby upright. She didn't have anti-reflux formulas. She didn't have Nexium <laughs> or Zantac. And she certainly didn't do uh, give things to thicken the, the feeds. I don't think she used any of those things, but they manage, And all the... Uh, animals in the animal kingdom strangely enough don't have reflux because what do they do? Most of them hold their babies in an upright position. If you watch the kangaroo, monkey, most of the animals feed their babies upright and keep them upright. They know to do this. So if we just take Hashem's message it's how the world got on for 3,300 years before all these wonderful things arose, we can go back to Treating the whole thing in a simple and sane and logical way.
2: So Dr. Castle, sorry, but if someone let's say goes to their pediatrician or doctor and they want to put their baby on Nexium, what if a mother doesn't want to, how exactly does she bring that across to the doctor and what are the other options other options? Well, aside from just holding the baby up?
0: It's very difficult to start arguing. You know, my colleagues are wonderful people, but we're often on a different wavelength not that I'm saying they're wrong or that they're saying that I'm wrong but my whole approach in paediatrics has always been to return to nature if you return to nature you won't end up in any trouble so I can't condemn the use of nexium I've used it myself in severe cases but I haven't used it in a prolonged fashion I can't condemn people who use anti-reflux formulas because initially they help. I can't condemn people for doing these things. All I'm asking in this particular presentation is that one should give it a little bit of thought and realize that what we're really trying to say is that reflux is a natural phenomenon. It's occurred since the world began and particularly in adult people who eat a lot and have heavy, very heavy meals. What do you say to the adult who eats a lot? Have smaller meals, have more such stuff in between, rather relieve your, uh, don't use your antacids and and your Gaviscons and your Nexiums and your Zantac. Try to stay off them, because strangely enough, and I don't want to alarm the audience because it has nothing to do with babies, but in adults, if you go on with prolonged use of Nexium and these antacids, you eventually get rid of the acid barrier in your stomach. And if you get rid of the acid barrier in your stomach, that's the first step towards stomach cancer. That is well documented and well known. So, don't be in such a hurry to take all these things. Rather do it rather use your six pillows at night. Sleep upright as most Jews do, and you'll be all right.
1: Okay. All right. So so we've got that just in terms of, of the baby. One of the questions I have is that is there no I'm sure there is a part played in the way we feed our baby, particularly when it comes to breastfeeding. You see that some kids, you know, depending on what position you put them in at the breast, they're able maybe to latch on better. Also, you know, they don't swallow so much air and that also affects the, the, the whole digestion.
0: Well, you're absolutely right, Adel. I did a podcast for you on breastfeeding where I discussed most of these things. But one of the secrets of breastfeeding is when you are breastfeeding successfully, the first thing to do is before you even try to put the baby onto the breast is to express the nipple. The nipple is like a garden hose. It has lots and lots of little secretory areas where milk will come out. And when you do this, if you have your baby lying on your chest, on its stomach, you will see its little head turning towards the milk on the breast. It's telling you it wants to feed. This is the baby telling you that it wants to feed. It'll move its little mouth. It'll move itself towards the breast to try to get hold of the milk that's on the nipple. And then when you put the baby on the nipple, never forget to moisten that nipple. You can't leave a baby sucking on a dry nipple hoping to get milk when the milk is nowhere near the the secretory area. It will get very frustrated. So that's a very important trick to remember with breastfeeding. And it's a good question. Always breastfeed in as upright a posture as possible. We don't eat standing on our head. So why should the baby eat standing on its head? The fluid is fluid. it refluxes upwards and the sure way to get reflux is to, is to let the baby lie down on your breast or to let it be upside down. It will certainly reflux. So it's a, it's a very good question, Adel. I think uh, we could perhaps alter the uh, the presentation slightly differently. And if people want to ask questions before I go on, they're very welcome. They'll answer them like you, answered, you asked a brilliant question as to how you establish the baby on the breast, it's very, very important. And if you don't do that, you you won't really succeed.
2: Dr. Castle, I have a question about the villi. How does that work with the baby? And what is is the villi? And when it comes to the villi, let's say being destroyed, does that mean that the stomach is unable to digest the nutrients?
0: Well, we're coming to it with enzymatic abnormalities. We're not coming to next, but I'll answer your question briefly. The villi are like tiny hair-like projections on the internal intestinal wall, the small intestine. These villi, in their substance, contain the enzymes that are necessary for for the proper digestion of sugars primarily, but also fats and proteins. Now What can damage the villi? The classic case that damages the villi is acute bacterial dysentery. When you damage the villi, it's like giving somebody a haircut. As your bacteria moved into the small bowel, they shear off the villi acutely. Your salmonellas and your Shigellas and E. coli, that's exactly what they do. And when they shear off the villi, your sugars don't get digested. The next part of my presentation, you'll then see exactly what happens. You get acute diarrhea. So that's that's the one cause of a villus problem. The other cause is the genetic problem, where you actually get one in four Ashkenazi Jews having the condition of lactose intolerance. So already you have impeded villi. They're not secreting enzyme properly. And you've got to watch out for this, because this is a, a subacute or a chronic condition which will actually plague somebody for the rest of their lives, namely the Castle family.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it's most of our families, Dr. Kessel. Um When it comes to the, um, you talk about the lactose intolerance, would that
0: refer to the breast milk as well yeah let, let me get on to enzymatic abnormalities
2: okay perfect
0: to answer your question yes because 50 percent of the sugar of breast milk is lactose 50 percent. so if you don't have the enzyme lactase and you're feeding with breast milk you're soon going to run into trouble but let's get on to the enzymatic abnormalities there are many enzyme deficiencies known to mankind which affect digestion of sugars, digestion of fats and digestion of proteins. But the most important of them all are the sugar digesting enzymes which are situated in the outer third of the villi. The four important disaccharide sugars that have to be digested are the following. They are lactose, sucrose, maltose, and isomaltose, just about every sugary substance you can eat. And the point to remember is that there are no ways you can absorb any of those sugars without them first being broken down by their concomitant enzymes. In the case of lactose, it is lactase. In the case of maltose, it is maltase. In the case of sucrose, it is sucrase. In the case of isomaltose, it is isomaltase. And these enzymes come into the bowel via the villi. And if they don't come into the bowel, you cannot absorb molecule of sugar. It won't happen. Now, what will happen if that does happen? The sugar doesn't get absorbed now. This undigested sugar now passes into the colon. And into the colon, it gets reacted on by the colonic bacteria. And this causes all your problems of irritability in the first two years of life, because the colonic bacteria Now break the lactose down to lactic acid. And lo and behold, you now have your classic baby with lactose intolerance. What is the classic manifestation of lactose intolerance? The baby is usually normal at birth. It only starts to manifest the symptoms usually by the third to the sixth week except in the very severe cases where there's no lactase at all, the baby may in fact react to the first breastfeed and just develop all the symptoms. But usually the symptoms start at three to six weeks of age. And what happens? As that lactic acid builds up in the colon, the tummy distends. It becomes bloated. And you hear a gurgling noise in the bowel. As, the, as that happens, the baby will start to pass more frequent stools. They may alter in colour because of enzyme deficiency. They may go green. That's also a very, very important sign. They become very frequent and they become acidic and this manifestation will be clearly shown on the baby's buttocks. Those buttocks will start to burn a bright red color. So now you've we're
1: got... So we're talking to Dr. Castle, and we're trying to understand what happens with our baby and their gastrointestinal issues. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's 34519. That is our SMS line, 0618951019 our telegram number don't go away
0: this is the healthy you wealthy you show with Adel Kosinski and Fagie Stern
1: okay so Dr. Kassel we're talking now that <clears throat> we're talking about conditions that are enzyme enzyme
0: what
1: enzymatic, enzymatic. yeah I've got it right no my teeth nearly came out of that one but anyway <laughs> enzymatic in nature so you were telling us about uh, what the symptoms are of a child that does have an enzyme problem.
0: Well, that means that the di- initially the disaccharide sugars that we mentioned are not digested. They're converted by the large bowel bacteria into acids. And the acids then burn the buttocks and cause frequent stools. The last symptom that occurs is that the baby's weight curve starts to flatten because it doesn't absorb its sugars it can't gain weight it flattens and eventually starts to go down. Right. Yeah. So those are the clear presenting features of lactose intolerance. I'll have to go a little quicker because I see our time is running out a little bit but uh, the, the main thing is to realize that Jews have genetic problems, and in the same way as every mother and father now is now tested for Tay-Sachs carrier, so too can we appeal to everybody today to at least check a baby at three to six weeks of age for lactose intolerance. Because it's a very How do you
1: do that? How do you do that?
0: Well, the simple way is just to put a piece of litmus paper into the stool and it will go blood red. It shows you that the stool is acid. The less simple way is to take a stool, fresh, take it off the laboratory and ask them to test for reducing substances, ask them to test for lactate. Uh And you'll find that they will report that there is a lactose intolerance. And that releases all sorts of mayhem in the Jewish community because it's like telling them their baby's got bubonic plague. It, it, it's not so.
1: <laughs> and, and, and you know you, you know what's interesting? Um, my family is lactose intolerant. It's just actually unbelievable how persistent then, you know, mothers still go on and give the milk and, and, and give the milk stuff and whatever have you say, so just, just stop that. Stop that and the kid will be happier.
0: No, not so. Lactose intolerance no. occurs in four grades. Grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, depending on the degree of severity. Most of the cases of mild lactose intolerance, grade one, grade two, can still be managed over the breastfeeding period by simply adding a lactase enzyme, and that is in the form of co leaf. It's a much underused substance and will certainly cause, uh, it will certainly improve a lot of the irritability in the baby. The other way is the way we used to do it in days gone by. We used to try to dilute the lactose load on the intestine. And that is by giving a little water after two or three of the breast feeds so there's not such an enor- enormous lactose load on the intestine. The third way is to actually give a non-lactose formula once or twice and carry on with the breastfeeding for the rest of the feeds. So you don't have to willy nilly abandon the breastfeeding. That doesn't have to be done. The breastfeeding is still a vital part of the management of the baby. You've got to try and alleviate the symptoms of lactose intolerance and you can do it in those simple ways. If you cannot do that, then there is no alternative but to cease the breastfeeding and put the baby onto a lactose-free formula, but remember. It's really.
1: I, I find it pretty interesting that that that, you know. As a natural thing, a person can well a child can be allergic to breast milk. It's,
0: it's it, it's a it's a very good question because why, should Hashem have constructed our bodies in such a way? That we can have an actual lactose defic- lactase deficiency. It's a question <coughs> as yet unanswered. You can't right. answer it. Nobody knows.
1: Okay, doctor, doctor, we have about three, four minutes left. Is there anything else in this area that you want to, uh, to share?
0: Quickly, the, the third thing feeding problems. You will see from our previous two examples that probably more than 90% of the feeding problems in the first two years of life are related to gastroesophageal reflux or enzymatic abnormalities. So before you start to remove the breastfeeding or change the formula five or ten times, make sure that one or two of these conditions do not exist. I was going to emphasise some. Of, I will emphasise quickly some of the features of breastfeeding. Certain points. Remember, breastfeeding involves strong emotional and psychological factors. And the first question to be answered is how does the mother herself feel about breastfeeding? It's her breasts, her body, to do with them whatever she wants to do with them. It's no, Nobody can instruct her what to do. And therefore it is no disgrace to say i do not want to breastfeed that's number one point the second point to consider and i'm going to finish quickly is that breastfeeding often fails because of a lack of rhythm or a lack of time lack of rhythm is trying to give the baby a hundred mil four hourly 75 mil three hourly 50 mil two hourly 25 mil one-hourly and 12.5 mil half an hour and be naked day and night trying to feed the baby. You can't, you'll end up in a psych- psychiatric institution with that sort of demanding. <laughs> feeding. The third thing you've got to do is realise that as the baby gets older, it feeds less on the breast. To start with eight to ten, uh, uh, to, to start with, it, it'll be uh, 10 to 15 minutes each side, and gradually gets down to about 12 weeks where it may only feed four to six minutes each side. Shorter and shorter. And the last thing to emphasize is you know your success of your feeding by the baby's stools. To start with, there are eight stools per day for the first two to four weeks. Four to eight weeks, it becomes one to two stools a day eight to twelve weeks it becomes one stool every two to three days and after 12 weeks the normally breastfed baby could have a stool every 14 days it is not constipation and it doesn't require dufilac and it doesn't require opening medicines so i'm sorry i've had to erase the last part of it but what i want to emphasize first and foremost is do not go willy-nilly changing your formula. It's even reached a stage now where some of our colleagues are putting babies onto specialised formulas to start with without even having investigated any of these conditions. You get babies being put onto neocate and pepticate and noble amino acid with no criteria whatsoever to use these formula. And apart from the fact that they can cost up to 800 rand to 1000 rand a tin, there is no indication for using this. So please remember to at least investigate the first two conditions that I've mentioned. That's all I wish to say.
1: Great, that has been very, very uh, informative as always and we really appreciate your time. Um, in coming and educating. Um, uh, I, I regret that I didn't know all of these things 30 years ago, but as I always say, I'm applying it now, uh, being a being a grandmother, and I'm sure, Feggy you're enjoying it, being a mother. And Absolutely.
2: Uh, I definitely also get a lot of questions from a lot of people, and Dr. Castle, just to let you know, people love your shows, they love the education, they love listening to your wise words, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you that wraps up our
1: show for uh, this week we have a very exciting couple of weeks coming up again if you'd like to join our whatsapp group you can send an email to info highfm.com give us your name and your number we will gladly join you on it's not a spam whatsapp group um it's monitored it's only with admin and uh, we just try to encourage you every single day to make your health better so that wraps it up thank you fagy thank you dr castle have a beautiful day ahead